Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Chai Break Podcast. This is your host, Shweta Ravi Shankar. And Ramachari from New York City. This season, we're excited to interview a roster of amazing South Asian women who have broken barriers, questioned norms, and continue to make a mark for themselves. They come to you from all over the globe, from Bangalore to New York, Melbourne and everywhere in between. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we do and chime in along the way. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Chai Break Podcast. Hi, Rama. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Shweta. How are you? Good, good. How's your week been so far? Well, you know, it's what are we? We're in right in the middle of the week. It's a Wednesday. And um, yeah, I, it's been good. It's, it's as usual. It's busy. Summers are somehow busy with the kids not in school and doing their things. You know, there's always something to be taken care of in that angle. And I think the social festivities are around. So we're preparing for some events. So it's fun. It's fun. It's a beautiful summer, at least, and we're enjoying it. <laughs> that That's great to hear. Because, you know, this morning I woke up at like 5.45, just as the sun was coming up. Oh, nice. And I was capturing those moments. And then I realized that, you know, I mean, photography is such... I, I just love doing it because I just love capturing things, beautiful things. And I also realized that we, our guest today, Shravya Kug, is a photo and video documentarian based in Brooklyn, New York. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this interview. We're going to meet Shravya and Shravya is just such a fascinating, um, you know, guest we've had on our show. I mean, all our guests have something great to contribute. And Shravya has this um, uniqueness, like you rightly mentioned. She's a photo and video documentarian. She's based in Brooklyn in New York. But let me go a little bit about her background. She was born and raised in Vijayawada in India, in southern part of India in a state called Andhra Pradesh. She moved to Brooklyn in 2015 and she graduated from the School of Visual Arts with a master's in photography. She was captivated by oral histories and how they influence and shape a culture. And her work is kind of an exploration of the home, identity, and personal space, largely focusing on the intimate and interpersonal stories of people of color and of poor people. And I think that's really fascinating because she really intertwines her her videography skills and photography skills into uh, really weaving out these stories, identifying, you know, the personal stories of and intimate stories of people of color and of queer people. Um, Shavi's work has been very internationally recognized. She's been internationally commended and exhibited at various locations, um, such as Somerset House in London, Photoville and Art Space, New York City. And she's been featured in publications like The Vogue India and New York Times. Wow. Wow. So a huge shout out to Shravya. So Shravya, welcome to our show. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. Good morning. I'm doing good. It's been a good day so far. It's only 10 a.m., but yeah, I had an early start. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've already mentioned to us briefly before that you're really not an early morning person. So, <laughs> And you know what? This is so interesting. Many of the people that we have interviewed so far, a lot of them have, you know, they are very creative. Like you have a skill that's, you know, very creative. And the creative people who tap into their creative skills are really not the morning type people. That's very true. <laughs> so I think it's really, you know, you're not being a morning person is a complete reflection of, you know, your strength, actually. So that's great. <laughs> so Shavya, you have such a fascinating background, you know, because I, 
in Atreta and I both resonate with a lot of your, your growing up years that you're going to talk about. So um, let's start with that. So talk us about your growing up years. What was your childhood like? Because what you've become is just amazing from from where you were. So I would love our audience to hear a little bit more about it. So go on, Shravya. Sure. Um, I was born in Guntur, uh, Andhra Pradesh, India, and my family is from Vijayawada, South India. I grew up in Vijayawada. I did my bachelor's in <laughs> electrical engineering. I was always creatively inclined growing up as a kid. So my interests lie, my interests were in uh, music writing and photography. I got into music because my mother wanted me to learn my grandmother's instrument, which is the veena. Mm, um, so when I was like six or seven years old, I started learning the veena and I absolutely disliked it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just, I was just too rebellious a kid to have the discipline to learn the veena. But I think as I grew older, as I got into my teenage years, um, my relatives and my parents started like hyping me up because I could play by ear. So I could like listen to a song and play, play it on the keys. Oh, that's and so I think I really enjoyed that hype. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got into learning a lot of musical instruments. So I learned the keyboard and I learned the violin and I self-taught myself the harmonica. So I was like very musically inclined mm -hmm. and I wanted to join the music college, but like as as the stereotype goes most indians are either exactly yeah or lawyers so <laughs> it's either doctors engineers or lawyers and dentists right it's four yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm part of that cliche too as you know oh, so. same same here it just feels like a previous life um but yeah like i i did my i finished my engineering because i couldn't muster the courage to tell my family that i want to drop out yeah uh, during engineering, I picked up photography. I started doing, I just started documenting my daily life on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. And I also started writing. So I just wanted, I think I just wanted like creative pursuits as escapes, as a form of escapism. Um, yeah. And I think after engineering, I moved to Chennai for my master's. Uh, I shifted streams. So I moved to Chennai for my master's in arts. Mm -hmm. I did my master's in arts and broadcast communication. So at that point, I was still pretty focused on like music writing and photography and I think I chose photography as a professional career when a CEO of a record label invited me to photograph their musicians and the music festival so I think yeah I think it kind of like happened by process of elimination mm -hmm. as opposed to like I didn't wake up one day and decided to be a photographer mm -hmm. it happened gradually over the years that's pretty awesome. That's so from there, how did you, at what point did you move to New York and how did you get here? Yeah. Um, so I, I finished my master's in Chennai in 2013 and um, I took a quote unquote break year. <laughs> Good. Um, I did absolutely nothing. Uh, I, I had like very big dreams of like writing a book. So I started like chapters of my book. I was just, I was just living the best life. <laughs> so I did that. I was also like working as a photographer. So um, I had my business partner back then, Parath Vyas. We set up a wedding photography company called Grains Per Pixels. So the plan was to do weddings and then invest the, invest the money we get from weddings into like documentary photo essays. Oh, nice. So we tried to do that uh, for around two and a half years. And I was visiting New York in 2014 for a summer course in photography at International Center of Photography. 
and I fell in love with the city. So I went back home and applied for school at oh, for applied for masters at School of Visual Arts. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell them because it was pretty funny. Uh, in 2013, when I was taking my quote-unquote break here, they really pushed me to move to the States to pursue photography. And I was just like, no, I'm not going oh, to wow. <laughs> I am going to be in India. This is my home. Like, I'm not going anywhere. All of that. I rebelled. And then a year later, I was like, oh, maybe my parents are right. Um, yeah, like I applied and I got in and I moved to New York to pursue a master's in photography at School of Visual Arts 2015. Oh, wow. That's, That's pretty amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah, the trajectory is awesome. I feel like you finally kind of uh, found what you always wanted. Yeah. And it seemed more organic, as you, you were saying, it didn't suddenly happen overnight. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And once you moved here, like, what was that like? Was it really radically different? You know, finally, did you feel like you belong, a sense of acceptance and a feeling that you can finally just be yourself here? Um, I think once I moved, I definitely had a culture shock for the first couple of months, especially for the first semester. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think I underestimated because my brother lives here. So, uh, I thought uh, like I'm essentially, I lived on my brother's couch for the first two years after when I moved. Um, so I thought, oh, I have family and like school's gonna be similar to uh, what I did my master's in India as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture shock was just the edu- I think in my personal experience, the education system is different in India as opposed to here. Mm-hmm. And it's much more intense. What I did was a one-year program. So it's like 10 months and four sem- three semesters or four semesters. So that was really hard. Um, finding community, um, just making friends. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of inferiority complex that comes up within the first year when we moved to the States, mm-hmm. when uh, people who grew up there moved to the States with accent being pointed out or uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was that uh, the shift was pretty hard for the first couple of years. Uh, I was also coming to terms with uh, my identity uh, because I didn't have uh, enough language and resources to access what queerness meant to me back in India. And uh, mm-hmm. it was only after I moved to New York uh, that I had that I had the language to better understand how I can describe my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a fun little ride for two years of depression. <laughs> Uh, yeah so it, when you say uh, depression it, you mean like trying to really fit right and I think that is where trying to really identify yourself in the queer community trying to fit in a place because you kind of were in the crossroads when you came here to New York with a kind of a conservative a little bit more traditional upbringing still you know fighting the norms back in India and then here there is a little bit more freedom but still it's hard to come out of that little shell because of that upbringing and identifying who you are. Is that something you, you know, is that a right description when you say you were fighting depression? Um, I think uh, it, it could be like parallel. Yeah, it's, it's a parallel description, I believe. Yeah. Um, I, I was pretty lucky to have open-minded parents mm-hmm. uh, who did not. I, I didn't grow up with a lot of restrictions. I was also like, I also had like a privileged background uh, growing up in India. So it was pretty easy. Everything was pretty easy. And I think when it comes to my identity, I just didn't, mm-hmm. like, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I say that because like, there was no, like for me growing up in Vijayawada, there was no access to language. Um, yeah. I think it just 
felt pretty organic for everything to happen without me understanding what it actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I moved and when I was confronted with my identity, uh, that was a little hard for me personally, as opposed to my upbringing, because Mm -hmm. yeah, there's this one understanding of you all your life. And then you realize, Oh, like that's actually not the case. Mm -hmm. And then a new, like a new part of you opens up and then you have to like navigate what that means like, and what that means like within the family. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of my mental health, journey or issues uh the first two years i moved to new york was uh had to do a lot with my coming to terms with my um uh queerness and also just uh, figuring out how i place myself in uh creative society here yeah i mean i also feel like you don't see like even if you had started this journey back in india had you not moved here but you don't see people like you it's not it wasn't that common at least now maybe it is but back then, I want to say it wasn't that common, right? Yeah. Um, I think for me, it wasn't. Yeah. I'd like, I can only speak to my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Like, up in Nevada, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. It wasn't as common. Like yeah. I didn't see any representation in media. Yeah. I didn't read many books. Like I read a lot of books. I didn't read any queer books. Like I knew, right. like, of course, like if I, if I seek them, I would definitely find them. But mm-hmm. I think I at that point, I, I wasn't even seeking anything. Really. Right, 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 right. Even now, I think, you know, the society is evolving in India and transformations are happening and there's a lot more openness in things like this, right? In identifying one owns um, individuality, identity and stuff. But there's a lot more change happening from when we were, I mean, we're talking about, and it's changed, it, it, the momentum is on, but I still don't think India, you know, it's, it's still not, um, we can't say that it's all changed and now it's just easy to just identify yourself as queer, LGBTQ, you know, trans, whatever you want. It's, I don't think it's we're there yet and the struggle still continues. But people like you probably are the ones that, um, you know, slowly by identifying yourself and speaking out your, um, your truth, you're able to help somebody do that as well mm-hmm. back in India. So I think kudos to you for actually stepping up and really, you know, kind of coming to terms with who you truly are and trying to create that space within your personal and professional life and kind of living the truth. Yeah, that, that's perfect. With that, I wanted to, you know, you did talk about some of your challenges in the first few years of trying to really claim that identity, you know, of who you truly are. And when do you think you finally kind of got your first breakthrough? And how did that feel, like that moment when you felt like, oh, yes, I finally made it? Oh, interesting. Um, I guess, like, when I speak about a career breakthrough, I've always, like, rephrased what success meant to me growing up. Um, I think that helped me navigate pursuing photography when all my friends were like making six figures. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh-huh. So, so I think like that really helped me understand that okay, like there really is not like one defining point in your life that would be a breakthrough, but but there would be like multiple small things. So that kind of understanding that I framed for myself when I was back in India kind of came clutch when I moved to states. 
Um, so within the first year, my school was only first year, but yeah, like the first year, the first semester of my school, uh, one of my professor, uh, James Estrin, his name is James Estrin. He's the co-founder of New York Times blog and he was our editorial uh, photography professor. And he like, it was just, uh, he really admired my assignment. I submitted for school and he was just like, oh, like in five years, you're going to be like a very well-established documentary photographer. And like, uh, I think that really helped me kind of push myself further. Yeah, even through the times when you maybe doubted yourself, right? You kind of yeah. go back to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. like I could always have that. Like, I think like that's one of my core memory of what I define like as a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. But I think that's mm-hmm. a... Yeah, I think that is one point. And um, another incident was um, our chair, uh, department chair at that point, Katrina Eastman, at School of Visual Arts, submitted my photo to Sony World Photography Awards, and it got shortlisted. And they flew us to London. Like I went to nice. like awards. Wow. Uh, my parents were there. Oh, and I think- that's that must be such a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for my mother and father, that was kind of like a defining moment for them saying, oh, like, okay, like our daughter is kind of talented, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> a good choice of leaving engineering behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that really, like how Jim Estrin's comment kind of boosted my my uh, self-confidence. I think that particular uh, receiving that, um, going to that award ceremony uh, helped my parents a lot and I think it also helped me reframe again what success would mean to me and I think that was a pivotal moment in thinking about my career more seriously yeah I mean I'm just going through the work that you've been doing um two things really caught my attention one was uh I think both were documentaries one is life along the seven line because, you know, I, I live in Queens. So like that instantly caught my attention. And the other was queer South Asians. Can you just tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about the backstory of these films? Yes. Um, so Life Along the Seven Line is a photo essay that I uh, worked with that was funded by a grant that I won from Sony. It's a Sony Alpha Female Plus grant. And I worked on that photo, photo essay uh, in January of 2021. Um, it's a documentary essay focusing on the lives along the different neighborhoods of Seven Line. The Seven Line in uh, New York City is called the International Express because it um, passes through almost like eight to nine uh, different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So I documented, I, I kind of like documented life along the Seven Line, quite literally. Um, and I spoke to a couple of families there who were affected by COVID at that point. Um, and, um, yeah, and the street and how uh, COVID was also affecting the street vendors and their mm-hmm. business. So, yeah, it's a very broad documentary essay. Um, and, yeah, I think I just uh, like the idea that the story flows along the seven line and mm-hmm. I certainly mm-hmm. have to need it. Yeah. Queer South Asians is a personal project. Um, it's currently shelved. Uh, I haven't been working on it for a couple of months. Um, but it essentially started out in 2019, um, just mm-hmm. to meet other, quite literally to meet other queer salvations, um, and interview them, have their interviews and transcripts and make portraits of them, um, and kind of like create this archive of, yeah, archive of queer salvations, just, mm-hmm. just talking about daily life, queerness, joy, 
um, like really random things, not really specific. And I mm-hmm. think I, I derived that kind of format from this book that I read. Uh, it's kind of weird to quote a Russian journalist book during these times, but um, yeah, this book called Secondhand Time by Svetlana Alexovich. Okay. Uh, so it is a collection of interviews of uh, Soviet Russians, uh, pre-US, uh, pre-Russia, so like USSR Russians, okay. and their thoughts on uh, love, uh, their thoughts on capitalism, their thoughts on uh, socialism and communism. Uh, so it really is just like a collection of interviews mm-hmm. uh, in no specific order. So I really like that format uh, because like people can take away whatever they want to from that particular yeah. Uh, book so I kind of tried to incorporate that but it's currently that project is currently shelved because I'm I need to pay the bills <laughs> <laughs> so this this line the first one you talked about is that life along the seven line is it available to stream watch like can our listeners watch it somewhere yeah it's uh, you can view it on my website oh uh, okay yeah it's a photo essay the entire thing yeah the entire spread is on my website and a part of it has also been featured uh, on Sony Alpha website Oh, that's oh, well, pretty awesome. We'll definitely add the link to your website and yeah. all of this information you just shared, which is really interesting. But just like hearing about all your work and finding, like there's a common thread in looking through all of your work is your unique storytelling style, right? You kind of write docu-essays with photography and which comes through in the way you capture your subject and what influences um, them. Like, so... Um, what does that process and partnership with your subjects look like? I mean, I'm trying to kind of understand your thought process when you approach a subject matter and how you bring out that storytelling process. So, and the partnership that you establish with your subjects. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think a way I've always approached photography, I think because um, when I got into photography, it was a lot to do with like interpersonal relationships. Like I've already had a relationship with the musician I was working with. Um, so like it was more of a conversation, a chat, and then I photographed them. So maybe like I, I'm guessing because like my roots were more like I was kind of like documenting my friends, making photos of my friends. So mm-hmm. I've always seen it as a collaborator as opposed to a subject. So, and like photography also has a deeply... Um, racist classist history mm-hmm. so the photo industry is kind of like moving away from the word subject um because that kind of like introduces a power dynamic in the photographer and it's the very collab. interesting very interesting mm-hmm. so that's something i've like i've always tried to be mindful of so when i when i approach a person to photograph them camera is not the first thing that i uh pick up to photograph I just it's more of a conversation I kind of like check in with them what they're doing what they're had for breakfast what like do they like coffee tea all of the like the small talk and then at some point they really like get into the conversation and that's when I slowly start to um ask them like do you mind if I take a photo uh so this is like when I approach people on the street uh, mm-hmm. but if it's a photo essay that it's kind of like a similar approach. If I have time, uh, I always make sure that I have a conversation with the person before I photograph them. I think photographically also, it helps to, um, there's a saying, I forgot the name of the photographer, but there's a saying like you can take a photo, but when you make a portrait, you're, you're essentially making a portrait of who they are. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I kind of horribly paraphrased it, but yeah, that's the kind of the sense the photographer's quote was. You know, Uh, when you're talking about that, you know, one 
thing that came to mind to me is the Humans of New York, which has expanded to become Humans of Bombay, Humans of London, um, the whole series that kind of exploded. And that was one of my first introductions, I think, to how photography could just captivate an entire story about a person because the photo and the story kind of accompanied that. And it really stirred a lot of people's hearts. So when you're talking about how you approach kind of, you know, that, that particular concept of humans of New York and, you know, how it expanded just came to mind. Yeah. Humans of New York is a, like, it has like a brilliant, um, the photographer does a really good job of uh, getting the collaborator to open up within the Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's really impressive. So yeah, I think like my my process is kind of similar. It's very collaborative, mm-hmm. and uh, it only happens once the trust has been established. And it's also um, yeah, when I say collaborative, not necessarily in the photo making image making process, but it's all like how I produce the image, like how I edit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's a video, then I like send the transcript to them, and then I ask them if they're comfortable with what I'm sharing on that. So. Yeah. Yeah, in every process of the image making or the storytelling, like this collaborator is, like I make sure or, or I try to have the collaborator uh, involved. Like a good example is for the Seven International Express, I photographed this family, mm-hmm. um, this person who was making uh, masks uh, because their husband lost the job. And so I photographed around 40 to 50 images within the house and then I sent them all the images and they just chose one photo. <laughs> <laughs> So I only had to publish that one photo because I like I had to respect their boundaries because they didn't want their identity, like the face to be shown, but they okay. just wanted the story to be shared. That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, we truly admire what you, you've done, Shabia, because just hearing from all this and you've come out, you've come a long way from India to here, um, trying, you know, switched career paths because you really, you really spoke the truth. Um, and came here and then even further identified who you are and kind of, you know, kind of tied everything together to finally ultimately just live, you know, just do the thing that we really care about and live the life that you really want to live and speak the truth that you want to speak. So kudos to you for doing that. Um, Really, not a lot of people can say um, you can, can be this brave and bold to get to where you are. So uh, kudos and so lovely actually having you on our podcast and um, and really chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, everyone do check out Shavya's work on Instagram and you can contact her for all your photography and videography needs. She's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. Yes. Um, beyond words. <laughs> and um, also, you know, with, along with the brilliance comes this really fun and really nice person along. It's a, it's a huge package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shravya. It was such a pleasure. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you, Shravya. Thank you, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Do continue to give us your valuable feedback via ratings, reviews, and hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on our new episodes. Your support means the world to us. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at chai underscore break underscore podcast to get the scoop on our latest episodes dropping every Wednesday. You can also write to us at chai break podcast at gmail.com.